Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, welcome back. Today we've invited back a former guest to kind of have a a legal therapy session with. I'm going to let her introduce herself for reasons that will soon become apparent. My name is Sarah Cornblatt Walbuser. It's a mouthful now. Uh, Many of the older listeners may know me as Sarah Cornblatt back when I was first on the podcast, I think maybe three years ago. I am the owner of Destination Legal. I am an IP attorney and online business owner, and I help uh, online business owners and coaches protect their businesses with contracts, terms, website protections, and trademarks. You know, I have the legal shop where I sell downloadable templates. It's not $8,000. You don't have to talk to a stuffy lawyer. And then, you know, I do trademark registrations, which I love because that gives somebody a, a business asset. It's something that they own. Now, the last time Sarah was on the show, she shared her backstory of how listening to this very podcast, commuting to her job at a Chicago law firm, contributed to her quitting and eventually founding Destination Legal. I started listening to these two guys every day. I had like a 20 minute walk to and from work. And it's so interesting because when I listen to the podcast now, the same intro still comes on. And I am taken back to that period in my life where I was so confused and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then now here we are eight years later where I have traveled the world and I have my own online business. Now I'm married and have a kid. And so having the flexibility of of this business has really been great. And, you know, it all started with this little podcast called the TMBA. So we'll link to that earlier episode of Sarah's story in the show notes in case you want to check it out. But today I had to call Sarah because a listener wrote us with a quote unquote legal issue that they've been having. And we've recently been experiencing a few of our own. I think these particular irritations are fairly common amongst people running online businesses, and that's what we do around here. Share stories and insights into the mistakes we've made so that you don't have to. So I certainly hope some of the general issues and principles today will be useful to you. And just a healthy warning, something I I brought up with Sarah when we got on the phone is like, just speak to me entrepreneur to entrepreneur here. So what you're about to hear isn't legal advice. You really need to consult your own lawyer for that. I'm just curious from your desk, how have things changed for online business owners in the coronavirus from a legal perspective? Just the small anecdotes that have come across your desk. What have you been seeing? We've certainly seen an uptick in people that were working more in person moving online. So we've seen a big uptick in like personal trainers, yoga instructors, you know, coaches maybe that were doing in-person things, moving online and doing their yoga classes over Zoom, starting membership sites where they pre-record workouts, like similar to kind of a Peloton model. We've seen an uptick in just 
business owners finally starting their businesses, either because they have the time now or they got fired or furloughed or whatever. And so I firmly believe the best job security you have is in your own business, right? So Corona hit. I have friends that are getting pay cuts. I have friends that you know, are worried about losing their job or their husband losing their job. And fortunately, we don't have that fear. Of course, there have been online businesses that have been impacted and affected. But as entrepreneurs, you always can figure out another way to make money. So I, I've definitely seen more people being like, my side hustle just like got elevated and I'm spending the time I have at home now to really get this off the ground. So I need my privacy policy. I need my contract. Like, let's get going. What's your bread and butter? I mean, listeners might remember that we collaborated on a dynamite deal where people were genuinely excited about the opportunity to come to you and get their trademark stashed away. Like, that's like kind of like this awesome security blanket. Like, I know I own dynamite jobs. I can protect that. What's like the bread and butter that keeps your rent paid and your lights on, so to speak? Trademark registration definitely is a big part of our revenue just because it's a higher priced offering and people see real value in owning your brand. So we get a lot of, you know, Amazon now, you have to have a trademark to be on a certain part of that platform. And then I work with a ton of coaches who are building brands and selling courses, wanting trademarks. And then I also sell bundles. So I sell bundles that include all the legal stuff you need. If you're starting a membership site, if you're running an online course, if you're a health coach, a coach, I've been quite lucky that only in the past eight months did we hire our first like marketing firm to do Facebook ads. I'd never run ads before, really. It was just organic marketing and word of mouth. So We've been lucky, but we've probably also left a lot of money on the table. So we have started running our first Facebook ads funnel, and I have an affiliate program. I work with a lot of business coaches who are working with other people that need contracts. So if you're a business coach and you're working with someone that is you know, a social media manager or a health coach, and they're starting out, you know, people are always like, what do I need legally? What's the basics? What about my website? I've heard I need a privacy policy. It seems like you've really gone down like the productized route, packages, products. Why haven't you just gotten like five clients? You know, a lot of wealthy entrepreneurs and stuff. Why not do that classic, you know, billable hours approach? Because I am not interested in trading time for money. I enjoy doing trademarks, but my ultimate goal with Destination Legal is to be making enough money just from the template shop, which is basically passive income, to take trademarks if I want to, but not necessarily need them as a source of revenue. I'd love to be able to say, like, we've helped 100,000 business owners get protected, right? Like, I'd love to just have that be a huge chunk of the business. I do enjoy helping brands grow. And I do work with a a handful of clients that come back time after time. I have some clients that are on their fifth and sixth trademark that come to me whenever issues pop up. That sounds like some people I know. (laughs) (laughs) I got a new domain. (laughs) Yeah, I do enjoy that. But I really want to balance it with I still want the freedom and flexibility that if I want to take six months off, I'm not worried about 10 clients that I need to service. Bring me into the mindset here because when I wanted to get 
a legal document in 2008, I would go to like Zoom legal or whatever and, and pay them a couple hundred bucks. And now like you have destination legal and I pay you a couple hundred bucks to get documents. A lot of entrepreneurs are going to look at that and say, well, there's already tons of companies selling these sorts of things on the web. What makes you think that you can do it? Well, LegalZoom sucks. I mean, I'm sure they're a wonderful company. I don't want them to come after me, but it's not as personal, right? And so, especially in the online business world, we talk about this in the DC, like it's that one-to-one connection. I've had people that have visited my website and then I meet them at like DCBKK and only then do they buy from me because they like, I wanted to meet you. And, you know, I think that's a big piece of it. The other is that I know the online industry. So LegalZoom, I don't know if you can get a health coaching contract, right? You might be able to get a coaching contract, but is that really going to, do they know the ins and outs of the coaching industry like I do, right? Like I know, I've worked with a number of SaaS companies. Like I know what that means. I know what they need in their terms of service. Does LegalZoom or some general plug and play template, do they know that? I don't know. So I think it's a mix of like the personal connection and then understanding that while I'm an attorney, I'm also an online business owner. I also have a website. I'm also doing marketing. And so I know what other online business owners need. Like people don't necessarily want to just go to LegalZoom, but they also don't want to go hire a big law firm. It's just a huge, huge market, right? And there's definitely room for for lots of us. So I wanted to switch gears to talk to you about something that a lot of people in the community have been facing, especially recently, is kind of legal bullying. And a lot of times it's a law firm or some kind of intimidating entity will write to us and basically say a number of different things. I want to talk about some specific examples with you, but is this something that's been around for a long time or or is it recently has there been more and more legal bullying happening I think it has been around but to a smaller degree I do think that we've seen an uptick in the last 5 or 10 years and part of me makes me think it's because there're just more online business owners there's more websites there's more people doing it it's something that is really frustrating and it's really infuriating you know, in the trademark world, it is a gray area because if you have a trademark, it is your duty to police it. You do have to make sure that other companies aren't infringing on your trademark or you could dilute your trademark rights. You could, you know, USPTO could consider it abandoned. So so the U.S. Patent? Yep. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, USPTO. Okay. So wait, you have to defend it or else it gets diluted. What does that mean? So if, let's say you own the trademark for DCBKK and you might run a conference once a year, but you're not really paying attention, someone else might start a business that's like, you know, JMBKK and you're just kind of not worried about it. Like if you don't go to them and say, you know, you are potentially infringing on our trademark. The USPTO could consider that you're abandoning your mark, you're diluting your rights. It's like part of your obligation as a trademark owner to just keep an eye out. And so you don't necessarily have to do this. So something Destination Legal, we get asked all the time and we're we're putting together an offer for this is trademark monitoring. So like we would monitor and make sure that, you know, nobody else is using anything close 
that's cool. Like a, like a low dollar monthly fee and you just exactly. have like a team doing, that's cool. Yeah. Cause that's not something you should worry about. However, trademark bullies are people that are going after smaller businesses just to scare them and try to get money. And they're taking this hyper aggressive approach, monitoring their trademark almost to the point that it's like absurd that they're doing this. And so one of the biggest examples that really infuriates me is Entrepreneur Magazine. So I don't know if you've heard about this. Seth Godin has wrote about this. This has been going on for years. Entrepreneur Magazine, Inc. somehow back in the 80s, I think, got the trademark for the word entrepreneur. Well, it's a French word. So, I mean, it, it was a little bit unique, I guess. Well, but the whole thing with trademarks is your word has to be distinctive, right? So if you sell apple pie, you can't trademark apple pie shop, right? If you're entrepreneur magazine, you can't trademark the word entrepreneur if that's what you're doing, but they got it through, right? They got it through. So now they have hired the second biggest law firm in the world, and they're basically stopping anybody that is trying to use the word entrepreneur or preneur as a trademark. And so as an example, they've stopped, you know, things like I have a list like, like brandpreneur, contrapreneur, the happy entrepreneur, the unstoppable entrepreneur, you know, rugged entrepreneur. So basically, if you're thinking about trademarking anything with the word preneur or entrepreneur in it, Entrepreneur Magazine will stop you. And they've been doing this for years. And, you know, what's the threat? It's not like someone running a coaching business called the Unstoppable Entrepreneur is going to be confused with Entrepreneur Magazine. Why do they do it then? What do you think the, the mindset is behind that sort of move? I mean, it's interesting because as a business that supposedly wants to help entrepreneurs, it seems really counterintuitive to be targeting small businesses trying to get a trademark that really aren't a threat to you. I'm guessing that this big law firm has said, you know, like we need to enforce your rights. But again, this is the exact definition of a trademark bully. So this is to the point of absurdity. It's not a threat. If someone was starting, you know, entrepreneur online course magazine, you know, something that might be a conflict or might be confused. Yes, you want to stop in. But a lot of these are, they're just, they're not going to be confused with it. Let me give you an example then. So basically, we got an email from Expedia who has an airplane in their insignia. And we have Tropical MBA that also had an airplane in our insignia. And Expedia is a, a travel brokerage website. And they basically threatened us that if we didn't change our logo, we were going to be taken to court and it was going to be bad, bad news for us. And like you looked at the airplanes and they're clearly different airplanes and they were like a similar color, but like no one would ever be confused. You'd have to be a complete idiot to be confused about Expedia and Tropical MBA. So what is the appropriate response? Because they were so intimidated. Like they had this law firm. They talked about the money that would be involved, a nice German automobile it was going to cost us. And they were real dicks about it. What should you do when you receive an email like that? It's unfortunate because to prove trademark infringement, you have to be able to prove that consumers would be 
confused by seeing both of your logos. And as you just said, if you're looking at a podcast in your airplane, nobody is going to think that you're Expedia.com. So chances are you probably would have won that. You would have been able to keep using your logo, but it would have been tens of thousands of dollars later. Where would that money have been spent? In attorney's fees. Of course, we can't predict, but I don't think that you were infringing on Expedia's trademark. I don't think they would have won that case. Trademark law is a very gray area. A lot of things go into it. And so when you end up in a trademark infringement case, it comes down to what the judge thinks or what if you're in front of the, the trial and appeals board at USPTO. But there are bigger companies that have the cash. So, for example, I had a client. I want to get to that story. But in this case, you know, we talked to a lawyer. And, and if I remember correctly, like one of the things is like because this law firm is representing Expedia, like that law firm might very well be incentivized to execute this case against you because this is a law firm's business. It's not Expedia's necessarily. So I might find myself in court. In other words, like this might actually be a thing. Do you think like they would have actually taken me to court? Yeah, I I think they may have taken you to court. I think what's unfortunate is we have no idea what Expedia actually knows. So this law firm could be saying, we need this budget to protect your trademark, we're going to charge you a million dollars a year for it. And Expedia is like, okay, like we want to protect our trademark. So then the law firm needs to do something. Now, I don't know if that's right, but this is just like a hypothetical yeah, of like how that kind of deal. Hypothetical of why else would they come after, you know, again, like your airplane was different. Expedia does have the logo trademark, they do have the small plane with the small wings, but yours was quite different. Your services are quite different. And so I have to think, unfortunately, that this is some attorneys that are just a little overzealous. And this is what they're being paid to do, whether or not Expedia actually knows that they're doing it. Today's sponsor is Earth Class Mail. I had many friends who've used Earth Class Mail and many listeners of this pod depend on Earth Class Mail when they don't have a physical U.S. address. It can be a problem for many of us. Earth Class Mail is an online service that makes it easy for you to live and work anywhere in the world without worrying about your postal mail. Earth Class Mail enables you to have your mail delivered to a U.S.-based address. Earth Class Mail will scan and digitize your postal mail so you can easily manage it from anywhere, anytime. That's right. Read your mail from any device, physically store it, forward it worldwide, or even have it securely shredded, all from your phone or your laptop. Plus, you'll get paid faster with automatic check deposits. You can take comfort in knowing that your data is encrypted during transfer and your mail is processed in a secure facility by HIPAA-certified technicians. Postal mail doesn't have to hold you back from living the lifestyle you want. Virtual mail plans start at just $19 per month. And Tropical MBA listeners get 25% off their Earth Class Mail subscriptions for their first three months. What an incredible deal. Go check it out. Our new sponsor is so happy to have them on board. EarthClassMail.com slash Tropical MBA. Well, I have a few other stories to share with you. I wanted to hear yours first, but I will say regarding that Expedia case in particular, I got the sense that they meant business. Yeah. And I don't know if it was Expedia, but like... The way the lawyer was talking to us when you looked into their firm and and what their stature was, like I didn't get the sense that this was some kind of money making scheme or some 
Yeah, I have no doubt. And that's their that's what they're being paid to do is to scare you and intimidate you. Is this why lawyers are unhappy, by the way? How can, <laughs> what about the person that's actually doing this for a living? I mean, they must justify it to themselves. That I don't know. <laughs> I question that as well. You know, because to them, if you had fought it and they had taken you to court, you know, it may have cost them six figures because their attorneys are probably way more expensive than, not that you wouldn't get an expensive attorney, but. I wouldn't, trust me. <laughs> I would show up with my clipboard and like my dad's suit. And I'd be like, I'm defending myself. <laughs> I wish you would. And I am tempted to start doing this a little bit because it upsets me. I don't think a lot of these trademark bullies have a case. They're just intimidating. And so the story I was going to tell, I had a client, we were going after a trademark. She owned like a small brick and mortar business in, you know, it wasn't this state, but let's say North Carolina. I do my research. I didn't see any big conflicts. And the USPTO didn't see any conflicts either. And so when you get a trademark, you go through the process. And then at the end, there's a 30-day opposition period where other trademark holders can come in and say, actually, we're opposing this. And so, you know, these trademark monitoring services are watching and it says, oh, this is coming the oddpreneur is coming up for opposition on January 15th. We're going to get ready to file our letter against them. It's published in this official gazette, it's called. So if your trademark gets there, then it means that the USPTO didn't see a conflict. But this big company, you know, billion dollar company sent us a letter that they were opposing it because, you know, it infringed on their trademark. There's no scenario that someone would have walked into this brick and mortar store in North Carolina and thought that this billion dollar company was this store. It just was not in the realm. This woman wasn't going to spend uh, 50K to fight it. So we, we let them win. We settled. And actually, we were able to settle so that she still got to keep the name of the store in North Carolina. We just had to agree that she wouldn't start a franchise. She wouldn't spread it around. So often you can settle with the big companies for something. So by settlement, you mean like an agreement, like I will only use a trademark in a limited way. Exactly. So I could have gone to Expedia maybe and said, look, I promise to never do anything but a podcast with this little airplane. Yes, you could have. Yeah, you could have. Let me tell you another story, Sarah. A few months ago, I received an email. I'm like an old school blogger. That's when I came up in the aughts and in the 2010s, guest posting was a big thing and still is. And one of the coolest things is like if you got interviewed for a BBC piece or a Guardian piece or a New York Times piece or whatever, that was like this huge coup because then you could put it on your website that the New York Times has featured this blog. And so on our website, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have written and been featured in all these cool publications. And so we put their logos on a small area of a website saying Tropical MBA has been featured in Inc. Magazine and Forbes and all this kind of stuff. And by the way, I must mention that Forbes leveraged us to grow their brand. They wanted content and we gave them content. And then we said Forbes featured us. Two months ago, a firm reaches out to me and says, I work for Forbes. You can't put their logo on your website unless you pay me a licensing fee. It was a ridiculous sum. It was like $3,000 a year to save, to have the Forbes logo 
on my website. What do you make of this? What's happening here? Bullshit is what I make of it. I question if that person even works for, has any affiliation with Forbes or that this wasn't a total scam. There are scams out there in the trademark world as well. My clients get mailings all the time that there's a company asking for $1,000 to be published in the trademark dictionary. It's not a thing. So I think that was a scam because you can use logos like that as long as you say featured in as seen in because that's a fact. And the thing with trademark infringement is you would have to show that like someone would come to your website and think that you were working for Forbes or you were sponsored by Forbes or something along those lines to be considered infringement. But just putting it there saying as seen in that makes it clear you were seen in is not a thing. And I promise you, if you reached out to someone at Forbes, it would not be an issue. So I think that was a scam. And honestly, you might reach out to Forbes, their media department, and just call this person out and be like, somebody is taking advantage of your name and and doing this. And for the record, I'll mention, I agree with you. The way I traced it back, it wasn't quite a law firm, but I will say it was a well-executed scam in the sense that their copywriting was really good. It was like intimidating for real. Right. Well, same thing with this scam going on at USPTO. And it's gotten so bad that when you get your trademark certificate, it comes with a yellow sheet that's like, beware of these types of scams because you can't really stop them. And they do look legitimate. I have clients coming to me like, I thought this was a flat fee. And now you're saying I have to pay $1,500. I'm like, toss it. Don't worry. Like that is a scam. So I'm 99% sure that that was a scam as well. In the case that you are contacted by a scam artist, as entrepreneurs, we tend to be paranoid anyway and anxious about our business. Do you think it's the right move when you see something that you think is a scam to just delete it? Or do you think that you should take an action? So I think it depends. So for instance, the Expedia letter coming from a law firm, you might have thought, is this for real? If it's a legit law firm in that kind of situation, you probably want to look into it, send it to an attorney. But something like I'm associated with Forbes or X company and I'm trying to get money or they're asking for money. I think that is a big flag that it would be a scam when they're asking for money. However, Something that does happen and isn't a scam is when someone is writing to you asking for money because you've used an image that is protected by copyright. And so this happens, unfortunately, because while it's not a scam, that would be copyright bullying. So basically, I mean, in a way, those images are protected. People shouldn't be using them. You should always have a proper license. But I know several people personally that have gotten letters from attorneys saying, You used this photo on your blog on December 4th, 2017. This is registered copyright under this number. You owe us $3,000 in damages or we're taking you to court. That's real, right? And so you have to either pay that or settle for a lesser amount or they could take you to court for even more. So in terms of copyright infringement, that can happen. But if it is something like the Forbes thing where you're like, I'm not the only one that does this. A lot of people are doing this. This seems kind of sketchy. You know, I think deleting is is fine. And if, if they are 
serious, then they would reach out again. Does it matter like in those images cases when they go to court, does it matter the intention behind? It doesn't matter. Unfortunately, under copyright law, it is statutory, meaning if you do it, you're responsible no matter what. It doesn't matter if you didn't know, you didn't mean to, your VA did it. And so that's why with images, you really just want to make sure you're either paying for stock photos or you're using something that is totally free and just like check the license and the terms to make sure. Because who's out there protecting images like that? Artists and photographers are hiring attorneys to, to police this. Kind of cool. Good for them. Yeah. Let me read you an email from a listener. Hey, guys, an attorney just contacted me. The purpose of the communication was to request that I, quote, voluntarily transfer my domain name registration to his client because it collides with the trademark rights of his client. If I do not comply with the request, they will consider that I reject the amicable solution to the conflict and will feel free to take the appropriate legal actions to preserve their legitimate interests and rights. I argued it was not bad faith that I registered my domain name and that my activity wasn't at all similar, but they don't seem to understand and tell me that it is a case of typo squatting, an obvious or intentional misspelling of a trademark. They offer me 300 bucks. All this story reminds me of a previous episode in which you talked about your logo issues. I've never listened to the conclusion of the story. So to summarize, they're not asking for money. They're actually offering money to collect the domain that a listener has that could be confused with their registered trademark. So what's your take on this? So my take on this is this is another example of a trademark bully in another way, trying to take advantage of a smaller company. So they don't have a case. So there's something called the Anti-Cyber Squatting Consumer Protection Act. And what that is, it does create a cause of action for businesses that might have a bad faith intent in registering a domain or using a trademark. Typo squatting would be like changing a letter or like for Google, instead of two O's, it's three, and then it leads you to a bad site or something like that. So it does exist. But the big thing is you have to be able to show bad faith. So for example, you know, I use the Kardashians a lot in some of my content because they have 700 trademarks and they're crazy. But Kylie Kardashian just filed a lawsuit against a company because they filed a trademark two years ago or something after her daughter Stormy was born. They filed a trademark for Stormy Couture. And so there is a pretty good argument there that they did that in bad faith, knowing that Kylie eventually would probably want that trademark. And so they're going to settle that in court. But the thing is, not only do you need bad faith, it also has to be a similar industry. So for example, one of my trademarks that I've registered is protect your passion. Okay. I don't have the website for that. Unfortunately, protectyourpassion.com for whatever reason redirects to a Dutch car dealership. Okay. I can't go to this Dutch car dealership and be like, you're infringing on my trademark because we're in totally different industries. I'm legal. They're selling cars. Nobody would go to that website and think, oh, this is, is this destination legal? Is this Sarah? Or, of course not. So to the, the person that wrote in, 
unless you're in a very similar industry that someone would come to your website and think that it's this other company and that it's confusingly similar, you don't need to worry. It sounds like this company just wants the domain and they're going to threaten you to get it, but you don't have to sell it. And so you never have to sell it. The only caveat to this is if they own the trademark and it was a similar industry and there might be an argument for infringement, you wouldn't necessarily use it, but you don't have to sell it. And if they want to bring you to court over this, that's fine, but you you would still have to prove that it was done in bad faith and it doesn't sound like it was. So someone owns Topical MBA and if I were to go to that website and it looked a lot like ours and they were trying to make money on affiliate commissions, I've got a legal case. Whereas if it's Topical MBA where it's like a news podcast that has, is blue instead of yellow... And talking about like business schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's a good, that's a good example there. In the case of the listener who wrote in, one option he has is he said, well, I'm not using this domain. It's not an infringement, but this is a money-making opportunity now because they're concerned about it. If he comes back and says, well, why don't you give me 5,000 and then I'll give you the domain? Does that indicate a bad faith on his part? No, absolutely not. And without this being legal advice, go for it. See what you can get. (laughs) (laughs) He has no legal obligation to sell it, to give it to them. And clearly they want it and they lowball them. So I would definitely go back with a higher number. If I asked you to be evil, Sarah, for a moment, do you think you could make a lot of money being a legal bully? Yes, I do. And, you know, I don't know that that's why Entrepreneur Magazine is doing this. I don't know how much money they're making. There's some figures that like trademark infringement lawsuits can be money makers. And for sure, the attorneys doing this are making money as well. It's unfortunate because it's it's an example of the big guns taking advantage of the smaller people. What sort of general advice do you have? Most of us would consider ourselves, we're not the big guns, we're not billion dollar companies. What's the move for us, generally speaking? Well, the move is to get a trademark, right? So if you are building a brand, the only way to really protect it is to own it. And so then you won't have to worry about someone coming after your domain or coming after you. If you had registered your logo, Expedia wouldn't have been able to come after you at that point. And so a trademark is, you know, a couple thousand compared to to a lot of time and money if you end up in some kind of infringement lawsuit is something that can really help a smaller business feel more empowered and confident against these bullies. What's your advice for people seeking legal counsel? I mean, sometimes it can be frustrating dealing with lawyers because they sometimes like overcomplicate situations and there's like a lot of paper shuffling and it's not exactly clear what the result's going to be. And then you just get this big bill. And I'll, honestly, a lot of my interactions with lawyers have been like that. What's your take on that? So I agree, unfortunately. Like I had someone come to me in the past couple of weeks, really upset because an attorney she used for a trademark did it, you know, incorrectly and then charged her like 
500 bucks just to send her a letter. And I was just like, this is what gives lawyers a bad name, unfortunately. However, there are good attorneys out there. There are people that will talk to you and that have your best interest at heart. There are a lot of small business attorneys, you know, smaller law firms, online attorneys that really just want to help and provide good information. And so if you have questions, I would seek out those. And, you know, it's always good to have an attorney that you know and trust kind of in your back pocket for when these types of questions come up. It's like hiring or dating or something. You don't want to just like decide on the spot that you need this. And then it's really something you want to develop by like going to events or joining communities. Like you want to know that's been my experience because the law isn't something that's like super cut and dry. So it is this issue of like being able to talk through an issue and problem solve with your lawyer and be on the same page about how your what your strategy is going to be. But it feels like with our small businesses, not all things are cut and dry. Absolutely. I, you know, the law in general is pretty great, but I think as a business grows, just having someone that you can talk to, you know, with COVID, I had a lot of people come to me that had to cancel retreats. They had clients wanting to get out of contracts. It just had a lot of questions. And I think I was able to give them, you know, a sense of relief and security on certain things. And so having that in your back pocket can be really valuable. All right. Sarah Kornblatt, thanks. Or sorry, I can't even pronounce your new name. I know. Just say (laughs) Sarah Kornblatt Wallbuser. It's German. You can blame my husband. I blame your husband. Sarah, thanks for joining us on the TMBA pod. Thank you for having me as always. Shout out to Sarah for swinging by the show and talking a little shop with us. Appreciate what she's done over the years, sort of helping us to navigate these sometimes tricky issues and big bummer that all these scams and bullies exist out there, sort of using these tactics to try and extract money from entrepreneurs. And what's even worse is like the legitimate companies that are just sort of blindly tossing their money at this stuff. Not a big fan, as if we need another challenge in our life. Although I will say it's pretty amazing. Maybe entrepreneurs a generation before us didn't have that opportunity to to genuinely pick and choose the legal jurisdictions that we operate in, what sort of regulatory frameworks we interact with. Uh, So a pretty amazing opportunity exists for us to stay more focused on creating value for our customers rather than going through legal red tape. So something for us all to think about. Also, before I get off here, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Earth Class Mail. Really appreciate to have them on board. That's it for this week. Email us, comment, share with us your legal woe stories. We use your comments and emails to inspire episodes like this. So we appreciate you guys reaching out and letting us know what sort of challenges you're facing on a day-to-day basis. And and speaking of helping you get through those challenges, we will be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.